and welcome to yet another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh, 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 my. That sounds a little sick. Yeah, the, the sickly laugh is back, or the, the sickly cry oh. of the screaming die. And welcome, it's Friday, and we're here for Preform Friday, and hopefully you're here to join us, or you're just here to, you know, I don't know, mock us. <laughs> View the carnage. Yeah. As the, uh, <laughs> uh, the horrific train wreck of gaming podcasts <laughs> viewed as you pass by. You know you shouldn't look, but you might just see a decapitation. You just, you, you just can't look away, either. So, here you are. Thanks for joining us, and of course, hope your weekend's filled with some gaming activities. Uh, we're uh, going to have a short uh, ship. Uh, me and Mike might do some solo gaming tomorrow, so... Uh, yeah, we might just report back on that. Uh, yeah, I'm going to run Mike through some Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, we may have some extra participants, but uh, there are some time considerations and uh, familial duties uh, plaguing our game group at the moment. So, you know, just mini-gaming. We're, we're going to lower the expectations a little. Uh, but, hey, that means maximum focus. Right on. So we'll let you know how that goes also. I uh, hope your weekend is lined up with some gaming goodness or week in the uh, upcoming days. But nonetheless, uh, we got some good topic for you tonight. It's uh, freeform, so uh, we're going to ramble on. So, but uh, we yeah. hope you like it. Ramble on like a Led Zeppelin song. No, right. if only we were that yeah, awesome. I, you yeah, know. that we need three promotions to get to, you know, uh, winger. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not even bar band quality yet. We're, we're yeah. still in the garage. We're trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, you know, two promotions away from Bob Seeker. Mm. So. Wow. Yeah, we're that bad. Mm. Well, nonetheless, uh, thanks for all you folks, and uh, thanks for helping us out on the 100th podcast. We wanted to touch a little bit on that. Uh, we had some stuff that we didn't quite have room for, so we're just going to open it up a little bit with that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good thing. I, I frantically wanted to at least mention the scouring of the Shire, uh, and I totally forgot about it. Oh, okay. So I was I was really excited about the entire topic. It's a long-standing favorite of both of ours, as everybody knows. But the scouring of the Shire, which the very end of the Lord of the Rings, uh, before uh, Frodo decides to go into the West along with the elves and Bilbo, uh, the scouring of the Shire is a moment where Saruman much diminished, and Grima Wormtongue, and a tiny band of half-orcs, uh, survivors of, you know, the devastation of Saruman's former might. Oh, Isengard. Yeah, the, the flight from Isengard. Uh, they have stumbled upon the Shire uh, in, in an act of almost intentional vengeance. Uh, they have corrupted and enslaved the uh, haplings of the Shire, from an agrarian, uh, pastoral, you know, pastoral semi-paradise, uh, into an industrial hellhole. Yep, uh, workhouses. Yep, just you know, slaving away in the factories to make you know. I, we don't even know what we make. Widgets. You know, yeah. You know, just more weapons. Uh, wait, more weapons for the half orcs who kick the crap out of you? <laughs> uh, why are you doing these people any favors now? Mary and Pippin. Uh, get back first. Long before Frodo and Sam, who are 
busy recovering, you know, all of that. Uh, and for starters, they've uh, drunk of the water events and grown. Uh, and they've also been to war. So their perspective is quite a bit different from a large group of hobbits who have never really dealt with anything particularly worse than a tavern brawl. Uh, they're not really well suited for dealing with uh, really determined thugs. Uh, well, Merry and Pippin, on the other hand, <laughs> are in no mood to put up with this crap and instantaneously arrange an insurrection and uh, drive uh, Grima Wormtongue and uh, Saruman out of town. Well, there's an allegory there that is very important, and I'm still lamenting that they did not include it in the movie. And the allegory was that a lot of World War I British soldiers uh, came back after the hell of trench warfare, and as industrialism was becoming the new norm and uh, work conditions were frequently horrific, uh, there was a general attitude that if you were fortunate enough to be employed at all, uh, you should shut up and accept your lot in life. And a lot of these very same soldiers being not intimidated by much, it's like, well, you know, a thousand shells couldn't kill me. I don't think one of you panty waists can. Uh, they did not put up with that crap. And there was a very ugly period of labor insurrections where uh, people were not putting up with uh, abuse or mistreatment. Uh, which was pretty widespread at the time. You know, there was very much an attitude of, uh, you know, go somewhere else if you don't like this job. Uh, well, all the other jobs are like this. They all have that attitude. So we're going to fix that. Let's, let's fix the attitude first. Uh, that inclusion in The Lord of the Rings, that ending... Uh, really belonged there in the films. I really wish that they had made a point of showing that because uh, <laughs> it it remains as timely an argument uh, as ever. Even, you know, many decades after the fact, uh, little people standing up for themselves and just saying, you know, like, yeah, all right, I'm nobody important, but uh, I'm not going to take this crap. And, you know, there's a little something there to be learned. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful part of the Lord of the Rings that didn't get enough shrift. Yeah, I think in the films, um, they had went on for quite a bit, and they wanted to just wrap it up. So you Yeah, know. you're about ten hours into those three films, and you know, they were kind of like, oh, well, all right, you know. Yeah, I almost think they could have done a like a fourth, like a, just an hour and a half one, that, you know, just a like little trailer end movie, that just dedicated to nothing but the scouring of the Shire. Well, on that... Uh, but I'm not Peter Jackson, and right. hey, I'm not going to fault him because it was a huge influence on a lot of people, and it certainly uh, made the, the films and the books highly approachable. Yeah. So, not upset, just, you know, a yeah, little, little disappointed. Yeah, it's a little bittersweet. Um, but we're, uh, we're glad that we got that in, and of course, I uh, just added that at the little start here. Uh, we're going to go and take a quick break. Oh, absolutely. Bills, as they say in the radio biz, and uh, we'll be right back with you. Of course, um, just hang around, and uh, we'll be right back with that topic. So hang around. All right, thanks for sticking around. Uh, we're back, and so we're right tearing the topic. So uh, it's free form. 
So our topic tonight is going to be Stranger Things. And they don't get any stranger than us. That's no. right. <clears throat> so we're experts on this topic. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Uh, yeah. The world of the living does not notice the strange and unusual. <laughs> I myself am strange and unusual. unusual. Oh, thank you, Winona Ryder. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, yeah, a little uh, series on Netflix. Is it, am I right? It's I believe it was a Netflix series. Yeah, it is I Netflix, understand I think. it. And uh, uh, kind of came out. Uh, it's in third season right now, so no spoilers. We're not going to talk about the third season as much, but uh, we're going to talk about them collectively. But uh, we're going to really del- delve into the first season. So if you haven't really delved into Stranger Things, uh, you might want to give it a look see and then come back to this episode because we are going to give some spoilers about that. Yes, first episode related, there are going to be some tidbits that get discussed that you know would constitute spoilers. But it has been a couple of years, so I, you know you can always put this episode on pause until uh, such time as you've caught up with the series a bit. Right, um, but. What we're primarily going to talk about is its influence in gaming and how it was influenced by gaming. And I think this is important because we're living in an age where podcasts, Twitch streams, Discord, and all sorts of things, uh, including Roll20 and uh, Critical Hit, are a part of our... Oh, yeah, Critical Role. Critical Role, Critical Role, (coughs) are uh, all part of our... uh, Daily venue of stuff that we look at for D and D uh, and role playing in general. They're part of the gaming landscape, whereas just five scant years ago there was no such thing. Yeah, there was a little bit on Roll Twenty and a couple others, but you know now, uh, oh, Critical okay. Role is like, you know, wow. Yeah, the largest Kickstarter ever, and you know there have been some impressive Kickstarter events. Okay, there have yeah. been some. Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, literally the whole world showed up and said, take our money, just make this happen. Uh, But Critical Role eclipsed even that. Yeah, now they're getting their own comic. They're looking at an animated series. Wow, I mean, just so much has opened up the door. But, you know, uh, let's look at something like, uh, as we talked about Lord of the Rings, um, which was highly influential. Here's the tail kind of wagging the dog in retrospect. Because... Stranger Things had a group of uh, troublesome, meddling kids <laughs> getting involved in things that were way over their head. And uh, D&D uh, featured prominently not only in their personal lives, and uh, gaming uh, gave them kind of an edge in how to comprehend some of these hard-to-tackle uh, metaphysical yeah, it's, features with... Uh, the, the Goonies meets Fringe. Yeah, you know? like the upside down <laughs> being explained as... a. Parallel dimension. The plane of shadow. And how do you get there? Well, duh, plane shift. Well, duh, plane shift doesn't exist. Uh, then we need a gate. Uh, which, yep. again, the gate spell. Uh, there's so many small references right from the outset. In the very first episode, uh, it opens on a D&D game in a basement. You know, with a bunch of 12-year-olds just uh, jamming out with dice and do. And welcome to 1982, 83, 84, what have you. Uh, that was consistent with that era. Uh, it, the, and let's face it, these were not the coolest kids in the entire class. No. Uh, Nerds. <laughs> uh, guilty as charged. You know, some of us were just more comfortable in a bookstore 
uh, or a comic book shop uh, or a video game arcade than we were on a football field. Uh, not you. You did pretty well on a football field. Wrestling was more. Yeah, wrestling. I, I grew into that. Yeah. that. That was my thing. Scott was uh, the consistent football player. Yeah. I was swim team. Uh, but, you know, a lot of uh, non-jocks <laughs> in the gaming community then. Uh, not, not a shining beacon of, uh, you know, social skills. Uh, but right out of the gate, they're facing a creature which they've got the miniature for, even, uh, as they had the authentic set uh, of, you know, first edition gear out Mm -hmm. for the inaugural game in that first episode. Uh, They bring out the Demogorgon, which, all right, in the game, it's just Demogorgon. uh, But I I find that one tidbit especially fascinating. They, They chose to title it The Demogorgon. Well... The reason behind that, I assume, is that they were giving a nod to the authenticity of 12-year-old boys botch everything, mm. bar nothing. It just, you know, there is nothing that they can't uh, <laughs> besmirch <laughs> with some error. Uh, when you're 12 and you know nothing, you don't have to be ashamed of it. Uh, it's just normal. So there's a learning curve. Uh, not one of us could say exactly. <laughs> 30 years ago. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, that that was a tough one. You know, there are some tongue twisters in D&D. There are some alien concepts and words that, uh, you know, how did how many times did we mangle Glaive Guisarm before we got the swing of it, you know? Yeah, and even stuff like Oculate. Yeah, yeah, an Oculate. A Coilite? Yeah, you know, you look at the word. Isn't that what you drink Gatorade for? I don't know. Uh, these words were pretty much above our level. Like thaumaturgist. Oh, thaumaturgist. Uh, Thaumaturgy. Yeah, see. Thaumaturgy. When do you hear that used daily? You know? So, yeah, there's... Yeah, unless you happen (coughs) to be uh, in possession of several old grimoires, which, uh, there's another one, grimoire. Uh, you are not likely to run across the term thaumaturgy. Uh, but find a group of D&D players, and sure enough, there's somebody there who knows the word. So, Stranger Things, these, you know, the developers had really put their craft to work as writers, okay? They, they put their time and thought into it, and they wanted to capture the essence of, let's, like, actually be in that room in 1982, the bunch of kids playing a game ineptly, but having a great time. And that's the point. Okay, it's not about perfection. It's about having a great time with your friends. Uh, and the loyalty of those friends, as featured in the series, is also another interesting facet. That, well, I can't. He's the wizard. You yeah, gotta he, get him back. You gotta go get your, t- your party member back. We never leave a man behind. That's right, no matter what the challenge. And, you know, the pictures they drew of their party and their characters was important to them. Yeah. You know, these were things that they... These were also customary habits of early gamers. Yeah, same thing, you know. Yeah, these are uh, 
this was common, you know, this is what you did, you know, you kind of tried to personalize the experience that you had in your mind and express it on a piece of paper, even a lined piece of notebook paper, still gave certain amount of clarity to what you were in happening and what you envisioned. More importantly, I think the uh, Stranger Things, at least the first one, broke down nicely into three parts. Like, one was kind of a kid's adventure movie, much like Goonies. Yeah. Um, where they were in danger, but not as much. And then the, the middle one with the teenagers, um, you know, still in high their later uh, high school years, just about ready to graduate. And, you know, they're experiencing a different form of horror, you know, where it's more visceral, almost like a slasher foot. Yeah, uh, so, where they're being hunted, and then the adults having to deal with grand conspiracies of government, secretive agencies trying to silence this and keep it under control as it's all falling apart. All three layers are taking place at the same time throughout that first season. Uh, it, that's a really good point, man. That is a very adept breakdown of it. That there are things going on that not everyone is aware of. And then even the mother is, like, feeling that bit of adult horror where one of her children is in danger and nobody believes her. Yeah. And she's seeing the blinking Christmas lights with (laughs) that her son can affect, and he's in the upside down or the shadow realm with the Demogorgon. And he's trapped there, and he can't get out, but he can try to communicate as best as he can. And, I mean, at this point, you're... What was it? Uh, I had just read a Mirror Universe Theory uh, article on quantum physics and things like that. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, it makes those questions about the upside down uh, certainly seem timely. Well, yeah, the science teacher, you know, explaining metaphysics in a, as clear and precise fashion as he could with a piece of paper. You know, that was... Also pretty awesome, too. But Yeah, and I, I mean, like, this was not well-established stuff at the time. This was, you know, very, very experimental theory for the 1980s, you know. Uh, you know we, we had not come nearly as far as we had in proving some of it. So Yeah, you see, like, the adults also face a lot darker issues than just being hunted by a monster. It would be just so e- easy for them if they could kill it. These are things with long-term repercussions. They're... Their careers, their families, you know, their ability to even function uh, in society are now being jeopardized. And fascinatingly, in a kind of nod to H.P. Lovecraft's Cthulhu, uh, you know, you're dealing with uh, beings completely alien to us, uh, whose motivations, degree of intelligence, things like that can barely be assessed. And it's humanity, uh, not all of humanity, but a few meddling people who really are under the accidental impression that, like, we're in charge of this. We have total control. Uh, There's no way anything could possibly go wrong with this experiment. Uh, We are so psychotically self-confident. Oh, who could have foreseen? Oh, the tragedy. Oh, oh, we're good. Oh, man. We did not see that coming. Now, of course... Uh, the more savvy watcher would go, oh no, 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 whatever you do, don't, no, don't open a gate to another universe and, like, you know, lure creatures in. And, oh, yeah, you did it. You yeah, did but it. they even had, like, references to Scanners, if you're familiar with that movie, with Eleven, the young girl who was apparently in some way gifted, taking away from her mother at an early age as some type of experiment, 
and to, now being forced to to foster and strengthen psychic powers, uh, and yeah, we're using her to be clairvoyant, and it backfired terribly. Now, when we reference Scanners, that was a uh, terrific movie with uh, Michael Ironside, I believe. Yeah, and uh, classic piece of nineteen seventies low key sci-fi. Did not require a huge budget. Not exactly... Uh, Whoa, their heads explode. Oh, wow. You see that? The head explode off that guy. Woo-wee. Yeah, yeah, that was what it was. People watch that movie because the guy's head explodes. Uh, well, all right, yes. Uh, you know, that yeah. Special effects, I mean, that's where they saved all... They put all their budget in. The, the whole special effects budget was the, the head explodey moments uh, in the... Duel between two psychics using their powers, uh, with the stronger of the two of them ultimately being the victor. But you know we're in nosebleed country now, yeah. So <laughs> scanners references uh, have been made many, many times throughout science fiction, uh, largely owed to that particular movie and book. So <laughs> in the second season, they kind of add new characters, which is fascinating. But. Uh, in our lo- link to a Lord of the Rings reference, the uh, guy who played uh, Samwise Gamgee in the uh, Peter Jackson films. Correct. In there. Sean Astin. Sean Astin, thank you. And uh, a new girl enters in. And of course, Eleven ends up joining the group as their new found uh, character. And they create a new character class for the new girl at the end of the second season. Which is fascinating because once you're part of that group, you have to play D&D. That's just what you do. <laughs> Everything is filtered through the lens of And the I know game. back in the 80s, it's just a fiction to have girls playing D&D. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we're not saying it didn't happen. We're just saying it was rarer than hen's teeth. Yeah. Uh, it obviously did happen, and of course many uh, girls entered the hobby, and, and we're better for it. But Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, we watched a curve of uh, involvement partly owed to... It, it's a backhanded kind of thing, okay? Just as D&D started to fade, it had already had its influence on computer culture. And because it had a, such a heavy-handed influence on computer culture, even as the game was kind of in crisis, you know, kind of drifting into forgotten lands, um, at that exact time, a very large number of games were being released that were D&D oriented, D&D-esque, uh, fantasy adventure, and so you had World of Warcraft and uh, Elder Scrolls and all of these other games flooding the marketplace. And so, as an end result, a huge number of players had the anonymity and the privacy at home to play without having to you know, find an active group right. Uh, right there in their hometown. So this shift of paradigm meant that all of a sudden huge numbers of female gamers flooded into, you know, this over a decade-long period, and voila, all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> there's a you know, little whiff of social respectability to it. Mm-hmm. Husband and wife gaming teams and mm-hmm. boyfriend and girlfriend gaming teams. Like, all right, how about we just stay home? We're going to curl up on the couch and we're both going to play Skyrim until we, until we kill that freaking dragon. I love you so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, um, 
Stranger Things hits that kind of melancholy note that as the characters progress through the first and second one, uh, season, excuse me, they are getting older and more responsibility is given to them and other things. And gaming is still very, very important to them. That is the one thing that still unites them. And in the third season, you know, one of the characters who is straight into the Shadow Realm and sees a lot of these things happening as they happen and occur or about to occur with many premonitions that, you know, sanity rattling. (laughs) As this creature from the Shadow Realms is trying to assert its control into this new realm. Um, you know, he's just asking, can we just play D&D? When are we going to play D&D? You know, he's constantly in the third season just asking, can we just play D&D? Yeah, I just want a little whip of normalcy, you know. Yeah. Just to, you know, have, I, I failed my sanity check against Cthulhu, um, and I would like to have something that reminds me of normal life. Uh, Thank you very I much. I witnessed the crawling chaos. Can I just go back to uh, where it was all pretend? Yeah. I want some nice, comforting, make-believe. Uh, <laughs> now... Yeah, I- I think that is yeah, not it, not to give too big a reveal, but uh, yeah, that, well, that yeah, that, that, that just a tidbit of it. That that's nothing at all. But uh, you see that happening quite a bit is that you know he's he's now pining for just the good old days, and you know that's a lot of uh, to what gamers started to look to as they got older. It's like, man, remember we just like played D anD D for hours and hours, and we didn't even care. Yeah, that's before we had to pay for car insurance and <laughs> get groceries and take care of things. Yeah. Yeah, when you're worried about things like, yeah, my lawn looks like crap. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to go out there with the uh, fertilizer and, you know, <laughs> just going to be mowing and weeding and raking. No, no. That lawn ain't going to mow itself, you know. Yeah. It just everything is this inordinate amount of uh, difficulty and responsibility. And escapism, uh, which that certainly was fun at 12, Suddenly, as opposed to just being a 12-year-old's hobby, uh, starts being a middle-aged person's, you know, fond recollection. Where you're like, oh, I remember the good times. Uh, And it's nice to have those back. Uh, And balancing both at the same time, i got to give people a, you know, big kudo for that. Uh, There are now, of course, very, very relevant, famous people uh, who are well-reputed, who are active gamers. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. You know, people who have achieved a degree of fame and and comfort and wealth, uh, but they have not given up their gaming. And it was a little more unusual a decade ago when, you know, you found out that Vin Diesel would, like, fly his buddies in for a game because he was stuck on location filming for six months. It was like, I can't stand being without a game this long, man. I'm just going to fly you guys here, and uh, we're going to sit down and do some D&D. Wow. Way to go, Vin. You know, wearing it with pride. Uh, That was abnormal. And, I mean, it's still not, like, the number one with a bullet thing that people do with their day off. Uh, But now you see Stephen Colbert and Joe Manganiello having a nerd off where, like, it's just the the battle for authoritative nerdery. Uh, And uh, they're dropping the terminology, so they obviously know where they're coming from. So, uh, nobody at that discussion was faking. I can I can vouch that as a gamer. But, yeah, <laughs> everybody knew their material. So yeah, go Joe. I, that was really impressive. Uh, I'm glad to hear that he's got a table every weekend that's packed full of people, and that that is 
if you go back about 40 years, you know, a weekend for a, a weekend off for a Hollywood star, it's like just a giant pile of cocaine uh, and, you know, <laughs> some, uh, you know, incredible degree of sadness. Um, mm. uh, just, yeah, all right, so it looked like a party on the outside, but everybody's screaming on the inside. Mm. And now you think of uh, somebody like that going to, you know, like their at their home on the weekend, they've got a wife and kids, they have a nice, normal life, and, oh, yeah, well, I'm not filming this weekend, so uh, everybody come over. We're going to hang out, we're going to roll some dice, we're going to make some orcs die. Uh, that is awesome, good for you. It's way healthier than uh, being, you know, <laughs> half dead of a heroin overdose in the Viper Room. Hmm. Well, uh, I also think, getting back to the Stranger Things, that while it's a good series and it could stood on its own, the inclusion in D&D gives it a certain, I don't know, cultural... It gives it a layer of authenticity oh, over the uh, time. And uh, I think that it's it's been well-received by both uh, the gaming uh, groups and culture at large, and as well as by other people who oh, yeah, didn't you... participate in it but knew about it. Oh, it, and look... You know, if, if people are not necessarily full-fledged, you know, at-the-tabletop gamers, uh, that does not mean that they cannot enjoy all of these things. Uh, and Stranger Things certainly put the word out. I mean, this was three years ago, and I, I want to... Here's a tidbit I really wanted to mention. There was a Bloomberg article this week uh, referencing the rise of the DM for Hire. Uh, in the gig economy, which I just, you know, it, it kind of goes against the grain for some of us who are uh, firm believers in doing it because you love it. But the gig economy and the internet have made it possible for people who do not have a skilled DM anywhere within reach to uh, engage with other players, form a group, and like hire in a really talented and capable DM. Uh, which, admittedly, it is kind of a skill set. It's not just rules knowledge. It's also uh, storytelling ability. It's the ability to, you know, kind of guide people, uh, make decisions on the fly, uh, adjudicate little, you know, uh, differences in how the rulings would precisely apply to something. It's a skill. But as that article was referencing the climb in the popularity of D&D, it also referenced the last several years of TSRWOTC's, uh, well, Hasbro's property now, but Dungeons & Dragons sales of 5th edition rulebooks have been going up by more than 40% a year for the last couple of years. Um, it's an unprecedented level of growth, and once again, how long has Stranger Things been on? Just well, yeah, years. they just issued a starter D&D set with the Stranger Things logo on it. So Yeah, not even kidding. Uh, the end meets the beginning like yep. Ouroboros. Tail uh, wagging the dog. It that just, is just mind-blowing when you consider that one was just an homage, and it could have been a throwaway reference, but they made it a central point, especially in the second and third seasons. And, you know, you can latch to whatever meaning you want on these things, but... It is important to notice that they made a conscious decision and made an effort as well in the script writing as well as the direction of the movie or the TV shows, I should say. They, they are kind of like movies because you can binge watch them until you know, 
your eyes fall out of your sockets. Oh, and, sure. Uh, you know, that's just due to Netflix. That's how they do it. But, yeah, you know, eight, nine episodes in, you know, you're pretty much, you know, you're in for the long haul on this one. So, my, in for a penny, in for a pound. We're going to see it to the end. Um, I tend to just watch him uh, weekly, like a serial. And why is it relevant to us that, uh, you know, they have such loyalty to their game and to their gamer pals, you know, in this show? Uh, well, by way of example... Uh, here's two people holding this podcast who started gaming 35 years ago and are still friends today, and we're in touch with almost all of the people from that era. Mm-hmm. You know that there there has been contact and communication even across all of these decades. We've lost touch with a lot of other people throughout our our youth. You know there are many friends that. Uh, from high school that were passing acquaintances that we got on pretty well with, but we lost track of them. But our gamer clique, not a one of them is lost to us, you know, just... No, and we've included new members, too. Oh, so, yeah, it, a revolving cast of characters, which I I did like that, uh, you know, they through the lens of the game, uh, they incorporate the new arrival. Right. And uh, I think that's the big thing that makes it so approachable where a lot of people both outside of gaming hobby and inside the gaming hobby it is a a collective experience that people have often wondered like why do people play this strange stupid dorky game and then whoa it's not so strange and dorky once you get to experience it and more to the point to people who've been playing it for years and years know that it's not necessarily about the rules or anything like that it's about the experience of being with friends and sharing a mutual hallucinatory <laughs> environment that only exists while they play that game. Yeah, it's a movie that, I mean, if you can imagine uh, a limited issue theater that only you and six people that were with you at that moment went into that theater and saw that movie. Okay, that action movie, that, that fantasy movie. Uh, and everybody else is... They've gone to their other movies. Uh, you know, say, for instance, uh, the big box office hit at the moment is, uh, you know, a slasher flick and a rom com and uh, an action movie. Well, everybody, the whole country, had an equal opportunity to go and see those. Uh, but you and your half a dozen friends had something happen that becomes a point of reference for only you ever. No one else outside of that group at that moment is ever really going to get it exactly the same way. They're never really going to grasp exactly what transpired. Uh, It's a story that was told in a very limited setting and that only a small number of people are going to remember precisely the same way. Uh, And it's so customized, it's so unique and so personal that it does tend to forge little allegiances. It does make fast friends. Uh, it does become a inside joke that you can enjoy for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the things I love most about D and D. Yeah, and well, and that sums it up pretty well. I think we uh, walked around the subject pretty well for uh, our rambling discourse. For oh, the yeah, evening. this this is uh, we would be remiss. Freeform Friday, so. Um, there's the five-cent word for the day. Be remiss if we didn't mention also that uh, 
not just Dungeons and Dragons, but other role-playing games have also benefited. I hear that um, Chaosium is reporting a bigger than a very large interest in the return of Call of Cthulhu from their starter set. Oh yeah, it's really really ignited, and they may be the Pepsi to uh, Wizards of the Coast Dungeons and Dragons Coke product. Oh sure, but you know what a what a great place to be. I mean, other role playing games are also flourishing. A lot of Kickstarters, independent games, Behinder, well, and uh, let's let's face it. Uh, with Call of Cthulhu, um, there's a lot of things coming in at the same time. Look, just in the last uh, decade, I noticed. Uh, a resurgence in a love of uh, jazz and 1920s, 30s, 40s style mm-hmm. music, uh, swing, and uh, what was it? A postmodern jukebox, uh, for instance, would be a music source that fuses new songs with old styles. Uh, but you take that and the love of the era's costumes, uh, the popularity of horror as an art form, and, you know, we've actually got an old classmate and friend who is uh, quite a marvelous horror author. Uh, Now, you take all of that, brew it together, and it just seems like the world is primed for a call of Chetulu comeback. Well, sure, but the the fact that... I mean, Stranger Things, once again, you know, it has a lot of classic call of Chetulu elements in it. Of course. But the point that I was trying to get at is that as the uh, tide sort of surges of Dungeons and Dragons, so other role-playing games are being explored and being given a venue that they never could have had before because people are looking outside of just Dungeons and Dragons and say, okay, this is a great game, but what else is there out there? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of things. So as the uh, tide rises, so does it float more ships. And I think that's the biggest thing that uh, I'd like to end this on is that as there is much talk about our love of Dungeons and Dragons, there's a lot of other games out there, and we've covered many of those. So, you know, whatever it is you're playing, enjoy it. And, you know, this oh. is a great time to be in the hobby and just keep the uh, flames burning. And, uh, of course, keep that freak flag a flying. Because <laughs> yes. it's cool to be a gamer. Yeah, it's cool. It's hip to be square. Yeah, it sure is. Huh. <laughs> All right. Well, we again, we're going to wrap it up here. I think that's uh, pretty much everything we want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, oh, okay. that. I think we hit the big... The big points that uh, for our freeform ramble uh, <laughs> on Friday, yeah, which it. Uh, it was fun to touch on because there's a lot happening now, and there's other shows following suit, and more references to come. I'm sure oh, there yeah. will be a lot of things coming out in the next few years uh, that will likely be riffing on the current popularity. Hey, and you know, maybe one of these days this crazy wave is going to crash. Uh, uh, sure. And the, the tide will roll back. But it's never going to be gone for good, because you can't have this much of a cultural tidal wave uh, without little lingering pools and eddies and whirls of, uh, you know, memory mm-hmm. lodged all over the place. <laughs> exactly. So, again, if you enjoyed the podcast and you like what we talked about, uh, just drop us a line on the Dicer Screaming Facebook page group there just send me a, or Mike Hannah a quick uh, tell and uh, we'll send you an invite to the group if you can't see it I've heard that a lot of people cannot see it so I've <gasps> been working with Facebook oh, to find no. out why that is I think Facebook wants to extract some money from us but uh, 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 yes yes uh, uh, the throttled ability to be popular until you ponied up the scratch yep so 
But uh, until then, just uh, let yeah, us know the, either on Facebook. The, the Facebook uh, tradition is to to prioritize us, and then if you interact by at least popping in and clicking like on a few things, eventually uh, the algorithms kick in, and whatever you interact with, you see more of. Whatever you don't interact with, you see less of. So, uh, fair? Eh, perhaps. But uh, convenient? No. Uh. But yeah, if you're listening to the podcast you can't see the Facebook page, just send us a message either on Facebook or Twitter. In Twitter, you can get a hold of me at Death Hand Gaming. That's D-E-T-H-A-N-D Gaming. And Magi Vox. Yeah, just let us know and we'll uh, make sure that you get invited to the Facebook page. And of course, you can also just let us know on either of those social platforms what uh, you think, what you'd like to hear, or even what you didn't like. And we'll get back to you. So, without further ado, we're going to wrap it up for tonight and get out of here and leave your ears to the tender mercies of silence. So, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.